Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Whatever you are doing, you need a website for it, and Squarespace gives you everything you need to make your next move into a reality. Not to mention with Squarespace's beautifully designed templates and customizable features, creating a beautiful website is simple and intuitive. Simply add and arrange your content with the click of a mouse or a trackpad. You've got one of them. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code CRACKED to get 10% off your first purchase. If you're listening to this, you probably know about another great Earwolf show, Improv for Humans. It's the show where Matt Besser, one of the founders of UCB, creates comedy scenes based on things like YouTube videos, your suggestions, and current events with a team of some of the best improvisers in the universe. It's like a free improv show that you can download right now. This month, Improv for Humans has something extra special for you, a three-part series called Mopes featuring Earwolf favorites like John Gabris, Eugene Cordero, and Jessica McKenna. Subscribe to Improv for Humans to hear that special series and check out more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. On with the show! Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I am also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also thrilled about this week's episode. We are talking about insane behind-the-scenes stories of famous movies, and we tape this live at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, which is about as close to movies as you can physically get. Now, I don't know about you folks out there, but I do not watch movies because I am a millennial. And like most millennials, I was literally born yesterday and Snapchatted it. So that means my tiny attention span can't be contained by films. Luckily, there's a secretly awesome way to watch almost any movie, which is to watch it while knowing about the ridiculous shenanigans that happened behind the scenes. Because it turns out most movie productions are like a weird summer camp where creative and high-strung lunatics are lighting $100 million on fire, and that's a whole secret second story that you can know and love. We want to arm you with that kind of magic knowledge. There's all kinds of prime examples of that in the episode, and one of my favorites comes from the movie Alien, the 1979 original directed by Ridley Scott, starring Sigourney Weaver, a great supporting cast, and a big giant gross penis monster. It's a basically perfect movie. To some extent, it invented sci-fi horror. I highly recommend sitting down with Alien and watching it the normal way. I also double extra recommend watching it the behind-the-scenes way by knowing the story of the guy in the alien suit. His name is Bolaji Badejo. He was a six foot ten Nigerian graphic artist with no acting experience, and he, let's call it auditioned for the xenomorph role by going into a pub, and that's it. He went into a pub, and someone from casting happened to be there. They saw him and they said, There's our tall, skinny guy. We did it. That on its own is heartwarming to me, and isn't that fascinating? We live in a world where you can walk into a bar, be you, and suddenly find yourself in a monster outfit, scaring the entire planet. It's great. And there's another fascinating layer to his story, too, because Ridley Scott bullied the crap out of Bajajo in an art way throughout the movie. Scott wanted Badejo to feel as alien as possible to the actors, so he kept him separate from the rest of the cast throughout the shoot, also made him stay in a different hotel so they wouldn't meet off hours, and he forced Badejo to not talk to the other actors, to always keep his alien suit on, and to sit in a weird swing the crew built for him instead of normal chairs the entire shoot. 
I know all that from a Cracked article called Six Insane Dick Moves by directors behind famous movies. It's by Chris Radamile, and Raddy points out that every time any of us watches a scene from Alien, we're watching a monster who terrifies a bunch of humans, then hears Ridley Scott call cut, and then goes and sits on a swing set all by himself. And if you know that, Alien is funny. Isn't that great? I think that's cool. Anyway, that's the kind of magic this episode is all about. Uh, It's probably worth letting you know right now that there's some surprising through lines in this one, uh, such as the sea and giant humanoid turtles, uh, because I'm all about art. There's also a heck of a lot of Marlon Brando stories. There are so many we didn't even get to touch on his Apocalypse Now performance, where he was a 300-pound man who refused to take showers. Brando also showed up to the set, which was in an active war zone, by the way, having not learned his lines and refusing to learn them once he got there. According to co-star Dennis Hopper, the 900-person large cast and crew of the movie had to shut down production while director Francis Ford Coppola made Brando record an audio tape of his own lines. Then they got Brando an earpiece so Brando could hear the tape and repeat it on camera instead of memorizing. And that's the Brando story we didn't get to. There is a lot here. Also, we went full-on Hollywood Entertainment Spectacular with this live show, by which I mean we played a couple of video clips of these movies in the room. I swear the clips are short, I swear they are good radio, only one of the clips needs further explanation other than you just hearing it. Boy, are you gonna love the explanation. I will be back later to do that. In the meantime, please sit back, or, or remain upright with your hands at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel, and enjoy our incredible panel of Daniel O'Brien, Tom Ryman, writer-podcaster Dave Schilling, and podcaster-comedian Jamie Loftus. They're incredible. You'll hear why. Talk to you soon. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Crack Podcast. Live. We're doing it. How about that? Thank you guys so much for coming out. Uh, my name is Alex Schmidt. And it, oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you're a longtime fan of the show and also missed this week's in-studio episode. Uh, Surprise. Um, (laughs) I am the host tonight, and uh, we're going to have a good time, because tonight's episode is about insane things that happen behind the scenes of famous movies, which is a good time. And we've got the most good time panel we could possibly have for it. To my right, uh, we've got from Cracked and the U.S. presidency and just general general (laughs) prowess and and everything, uh, Daniel O'Brien. Hi. <laughs> to his right, from Cracked, and uh, just knowing so many things about movies and other things, Tom Ryman. Hey. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's weird. You never know what to say in these things, because all you want to say is like, that's correct. That is the direction, and I am the person. <laughs> I'm not sure I've earned all those accolades, but yes. Yeah. That's half the intros. We're rolling. Uh... Then uh, to his right, from uh, Bleacher Report, Birth, Movies, Death, the upcoming podcast, BR Mag, Dave Schilling. Hello! Amazing. I have nothing else to say. Continue. (laughs) And to his right, we've got uh, from the Bechtel cast and comedy in general, Jamie Loftus, folks. Yeah. Thank you. Comedy in general. Check it out. Yeah, that's fun, right? We're talking about movies, and uh, especially famous movies, and I thought it would be the most fun to start with the most famous movie of all the movies, The Godfather. It's a film about a godfather, and more. Uh, And it's a a particularly fun one to me, I think, because I don't know about you guys, but when I hear 
stories about movies being crazy behind the scenes, it's, the end of it is usually, and the movie was terrible. The Godfather was crazy behind the scenes, and then it was The Godfather, which is very exciting to me. It's one of those movies that, you, that really bucks the trend, like with uh, Iron Man, for example, no one wanted Robert Downey Jr. in it, and John Favreau was like, I state my reputation on it, it's gotta be him, and it ended up being perfect, and Downey Jr. showed up, he came to play. With Godfather, it was the same thing, where Francis Ford Coppola was like, I want Brando, and Brando was showing up to the audition with like, cotton in his mouth in a Hawaiian shirt and a weird hair clip, yeah. being like this spacey surfer dude. No one wanted him in the movie but Coppola, and Coppola was like, we're gonna do it, we're gonna get him, and you think, <laughs> it's like Iron Man, where it worked out, but actually behind the scenes, Brando was like this weird fucking maniac who like needed his cue cards, needed his right. lines on cue cards during the movie. Taped <laughs> to Robert Duvall. Like, <laughs> seriously, like it, there are yeah. scenes when like Robert Duvall is facing him and they're ha- doing a scene, he's literally wearing Brando's lines on his chest. Because this is peak Brando. <laughs> one of those things that like in some documentary one day, it'll be like, man, what was like working right alongside Marlon Brando? Itchy. I had like a thing fucking taped to my neck. Really uncomfortable. <laughs> it was also, I think, in one of the shots. I think it's in the same scene, but he's holding his, his arm is kind of off screen because he's holding a sandwich. <laughs> 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 it's like in between takes, you just be like, awesome. Yeah. We can keep going now. Why didn't going. that make it in the movie? Is my question. It should have. Right. It's perfectly Isn't within that that in character. Right. Yeah. yeah. A big old meatball sub with yeah. some Parmesan. Don Vito just. He's hungry. Yeah. He's obviously yeah. eating. He's very fat. Yeah. We yeah, know the stupid eats. Why yeah. didn't he get to line read? It's a spicy meatball. That would have been a great Godfather <laughs> <laughs> moment. Spicy meatball. I can't do it. I'm sorry. I, I need yeah. the cotton in my. Mouth. <laughs> you tried I also, though. I also good. love that like a thousand percent. If he took a big old bite of this, what we've decided is a foot and a half long meatball sandwich. We've all <laughs> decided that together. Completely right? unwieldy sandwich. If he did take a bite of it. USC film students would be analyzing that forever as yeah. like, what yeah. are they trying to say? Or, or the what continuity of like, how many bites did he take? And why is the sandwich so much smaller in the next scene? <laughs> I would want them to like really look into it. Like, did you know that the length of that meatball sub was the exact length of Marlon Brando when he was a newborn baby? <laughs> and it's commentary on life itself. It's Very. about dads. Like, yeah. it's <laughs> I, I wanted it to be me eating my Myself, so. <laughs> Meatballs coming out the end of it. Uh, I'm glad you had that in your pocket. That was yeah. very awesome. <laughs> uh, the Godfather itself, going in, people were very worried that it would be uh, stereotypical of Italian-Americans in particular. And uh, they had a lot of pressure from Italian-American groups to tone down the Italians are the mafia thing. That's why no one says mafia in the movie. And then at the same time, the actual mafia was very, very mad at them. And apparently... Someone in the actual mafia shot out the windows of a producer's car. I know, that's uh, dangerous. <laughs> and, uh, and so you had a really weird juxtaposition of actual violence going on, and then also groups saying, there, tone down the violence, be realistic. Hey, watch it. It's fascinating, the, uh, the mafia would uh, commit any act of antisocial behavior. I didn't know that that was their thing. I, I thought that they were just very reasonable guys in the waste management industry. But hey, you learn right. things from movies. That's and what it's all about. And to prove that point, he was like, to just show what a chill guy I am, I'm going to shoot out your car windows. (laughs) Just to prove a point. Right. It's so insane that the movie, because nowadays it's so hard to get any movie made. And back then, I I can't imagine someone was like, who's against this movie? Uh, Italians? The Mafia? (laughs) 
Frank Sinatra, weirdly on board. I don't understand. <laughs> He's okay with it. It's so fascinating to me that that was something people were worried about back then because now it's like, oh, Italians are mad at your movie. Like, no one would care. Right. Italians are just white people. Like, what? <laughs> like, what's the problem? I mean, they still made Don John, which I think is probably the most offensive. <laughs> yeah, maybe. okay, maybe. As far yeah. as Italian okay, stereotypes. sure, sure. Italians are mad they're still making Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> Cartoon video games. Really? Have they organized? No, you just imagine they would be. I don't It's like that story, I read the story about how there's some like burrito place and I think it's Portland. People were very upset that they were appropriating Mexican culture. That's like someone being mad that a pizza hut opened and your Italian is like, that pizza, no, don't take pizza from us. That's our food. Pizza Hut took pizza from all of us. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Actually, I just saw The Godfather for the first time in the past six months. I, I'm stupid, sorry. Uh, but I was under the impression it was about something totally different because I have a sort of like pervy godfather. And so when I was like, I can't, okay. Wait for it. Like, so he, he used to like do this thing where he'd kiss me on the head a lot and he'd be like, I'm the godfather, like the movie. And... So I thought that The Godfather was maybe about like a bunch of aggressive Italian dudes kissing kids. And then I saw it, I was like, it's totally different. Come it's sit totally on my different. lap, I might hit Don Vito. Come Turns here. Turns out my Godfather's just a pervert. So, so the scene where he's chasing the little kid around the orange group must have really like, alarmed you. <laughs> Weirdly kind of appropriate segue. Uh, <laughs> Uh, throughout the making of the movie, especially if it was James Caan and Robert Duvall and Marlon Brando all in a scene, there was a lot of mooning. There was a lot of them showing each, each other their butts. Just throughout The Godfather. Um, and uh, it was first Caan and Duvall were showing their butts to Brando to mess with him. And so then Brando waited until they were shooting the scene where it's like the big wedding and there's hundreds of people there. And he was like, oh, you guys are about to shoot? Great. And like ran up and showed everyone his butt. <laughs> And then Khan and Duval were so stoked that they bought him a belt that says Mighty Moon King on it <laughs> as like a title belt, like he had won some sort of WWE thing. And then they made The Godfather at the same time. I, I need to emphasize. Well, they were making The Godfather. Now, they made The Godfather too, you know, like they also. Jamie, did your Godfather show his butt at a wedding? He kept showing me his butt and saying, it's the like of The Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> And that one was right. I just had to do a lot of research. It's funny, to find his out. butt crack was the same length as that meatball sub. Right. Wow. There have been thesis papers written oh, about yeah, the ass not, cracks involved. I did that in film school. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a constellation of asses you want to see either, like Robert Duvall and. Is James that a Con movie we're talking about today? A constellation oh, of we're asses? Talking about, yeah, the Wes Anderson deep cut, a constellation of asses. <laughs> Very whimsical. Yeah. Very, yeah, lots of symmetry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so tough for Francis Ford Coppola. To whatever, like, poor, miserable, strung-out producer he has to talk to, he's like, I know, I know. We can all see Robert Duvall's butthole right now. I swear this is going to be the best movie ever made. <laughs> you just have to keep giving me money, please. I'm so sorry. We're going to make three of them, baby. Well, it was also, it was a weird movie, because early on, apparently Mario Puzo was in about $10,000 of sports gambling debt and sold an option on his unfinished 
version of the book to just get out of that. And then Coppola only signed on to direct it because he was going broke. Like his own company, American Zoetrope, was running out of money. So I feel like no one was on board for the movie from the beginning. And then there were butts. And we still got The Godfather. <laughs> yeah, didn't, didn't Coppola say that like, he didn't want to do it because it was trashy source material? Yeah, I and think, then dudes yeah. are showing their butts on the set. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> fucked. Also, that guy must have wanted to kill. Twenty himself. years later, he would make the film Jack. So, <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to just see how long we can go just talking about Marlon Brando. <laughs> I hope you guys are on board because I am. Beyond that, with Brando, uh, that cue card thing that came up before—that's very true. Where like Duval had him attached to him. Apparently, also in the garden scene, there's a scene where it's Pacino and Brando talking in the garden. It's very heartfelt. And it's very heartrending. And the parts where Brando is like looking up toward the trees, it's because that's where the cue cards are. They put them like up on branches. Apparently from the 70s, so they did The Godfather in 72, he kept getting cue cards for as many movies as he could. We have a few clips set up. Do we have a clip? Audio-visual for you guys. <laughs> this is going to be Marlon Brando in Superman, like the first Superman oh, with Christopher shit. Reeve. And uh, it's a scene where he's doing a very, very important speech. And because of his cue card system, all of the speech is going to be on a baby. So let's see that. But we will never leave you. Okay, still Even reading the baby? Even in the face of our death. Still reading the baby? The richness of our lives shall be yours. Still reading a baby. All so, that I have, all that I've learned, everything I feel, all this and more, I... Written on a baby. It's written I on the baby? Or is there, yeah, okay. It's attached to the baby. <laughs> Imagine being this solemn in a glow-in-the-dark suit. All the days of your life. <laughs> You will make my strength your own. See my life through your eyes. As your life will be seen through mine. He was paid a million dollars for this. That's, yeah. That would be... Clap for the man! Yeah. He's a genius! Yes. Anyone can read words off a baby. <laughs> That would be my favorite thing. Yeah. Like, this movie deserves a thousand Oscars if in the middle of it he was like, and Kalel, you'll be... Flips the baby over. <laughs> a Superman. I hope that he signed the cue card for the baby's parents because that would be very valuable on the secondary market, right? I'm certain he didn't. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's no way he did that. Yeah. Well, speaking of money, they had a lot of promotional value out of having Marlon Brando in a Superman movie, especially because this was before there were many comic book movies. And so Brando worked out a deal where, Tom, you mentioned he made millions. He was paid $3.7 million to be in the movie. And then they also gave him 11.75% of the back-end profits of the movie. Wasn't uh, his part filmed in a single day? Yeah, he's just in that bit. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie. Yeah, that's it. I, well, that's... I got a question on this that Tom, perhaps you know, or Schmitty, maybe you've done the research on this. You've clearly got paper. I've got a bunch of drawings of me with different hats in my notes. Um, oh. Brian Singer also used ghost footage of Marlon Brando to play Kal-El in Superman Returns. They just, like, digitally threw him in that piece of shit Superman movie. Sure did. Did the Brando estate also get paid for that? Are we like, are I we still so. paying Marlon Brando for reading off a baby? Like that's a whole can of worms when they put dead people well, into movies. One um, thing that I do know is that that was footage that was unused from Superman 2. So I think they probably just got paid out for it in the 70s and didn't get any more money. But I don't know his yeah. contract, sorry. Yeah. I don't have it with yeah. me here. Just, just so long as my American taxpaying dollars aren't still going to Brando. I don't know how things work. I mean, he wasn't dead yet in 2006. 
Brando? And when Superman Returns came out. Right? Really? Brando oh. was dead? When did he Heck die? Yeah, he he did on, he let me die? check my... Come on. No, this is... I thought Island of Dr. Moreau killed him. And oh, no. <laughs> that was what happened. They left him on that island <laughs> yeah. with some of those monsters. You can still see his corpse rotting. I think yeah. the whole baby cue card thing is just sort of a testament to the mm. fact that, you know... He's a true artist. Everything's a canvas. You know? <laughs> Human life itself. <laughs> Mostly other people. Right, right. Or his canvas. No, he, did, he, he was dead. You're right. It was 2004. Wow, man. Yeah. There you go. Rest in paradise. Right. Damn it. And uh, well, Jack Nicholson got a very similar deal to do yeah. Batman. And so every time they sold a Joker toy or like lunchbox he got all of that money he also made money off of batman returns like that's how much of a deal he worked out for himself <laughs> yeah <laughs> like jack Douglas was like okay i'll do this movie but you're gonna be paying me for like the next five years they're still paying him for yeah. the dark knight i yeah. don't know how it's just how do i wield that power hey <laughs> hey um uh, dave you mentioned the island of dr moreau and that's another one where not only was brando doing the cue card thing he was doing a lot of other things too a lot of other things, uh, yes. To, to say the least. So he was like the guy who greenlit that movie. Richard Stanley was a director. There's a really great documentary called Lost Soul, which came out a couple years ago, that's about Richard Stanley. He's this very eccentric South African man who uh, did like two very low-budget sci-fi movies. And uh, his passion project was The Island of Dr. Moreau for reasons because he was related to the author. It's H.G. Wells, correct? Yeah. The dead Moreau. Uh, so he's in some way related to H.G. Wells. And he had this crazy vision to go out and do it and have women with five breasts dressed up like cheetahs and all kinds of things. And then they cast Val Kilmer, and it all goes downhill from there. <laughs> because you can't have Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando in your movie and it not yeah. fall apart. Not 1995 Val Kilmer, certainly. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, because he, he, Kilmer was huge at the time. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. He could push people around and do whatever he wanted. Yeah, that was post-Batman, I think. Yeah, it was yeah. Like right after wow. it, so he was like huge. Yeah, 95 Val Kilmer, that's, a, that's an unhinged person <laughs> who you feel like is either about to s- either snap your neck or propose marriage to you <laughs> and like no gray hair possibly both <laughs> yeah preferably both yeah. as someone who uh, completely independently and per no one's request has been studying Val Kilmer for <laughs> his life the man has not softened with time he is still just as dangerous today as he was in 1995 uh, did you see the Mark Twain he did in Culver City at all I've heard yeah. about it it the was one very assaulting <laughs> I found Does he come out of off the stage and beat people up? No one requested him to do that. Hal Holbrook has been doing like the definitive Mark Twain live piece. This is an accessible podcast. Uh, <laughs> Hal Holbrook If you live been... in Los Angeles and you went to see this stupid play. <laughs> Hal Holbrook has been touring with a Mark Twain that is like perfect. Like that's it's living Mark Twain. And Val Kilmer is like, Me too. And like no one's asking him to do it and he just keeps doing it at like parties and functions and like, like corporate Gall- retreats it's a Gallagher too yeah <laughs> it's the most trollish thing in a few years I want him to be like Alexander Hamilton you know like, like, just... but white this time finally uh, so Richard Stanley gets fired because Val Kilmer absolutely hates him and has been bullying him for weeks on this movie Richard Stanley is told to nicely leave uh, so John Frankenheimer can direct the movie he burns all of his pre-production storyboards, everything, and then doesn't get on the plane and runs into the middle of the jungle and sleeps underneath a tree for weeks. By himself, with two dingoes, he said. 
Two. Yeah. Not just one, two. And they didn't eat him, apparently. They, they snuck him into the movie, too. Yeah, like he's, he's, he's in some weird he like, animal costume. Yeah. He nestled between them like they were his parents. Yeah, he tamed the dingoes. The dingoes. Or he's like, dingoes, form a hammock for me. I'm tired. He's like um, uh, Chris Pratt in that uh, Jurassic Park movie, <laughs> yeah, but with dingoes exactly. instead of raptors. I have, this I is have a, a problem a, where I can't tell wealthy Chris movie stars apart. Chris Pine, Chris Pratt, Chris, the other five. I can't tell. There's too many of them. <laughs> they all look really the same. Is. This yeah. is a really good uh, lesson in the arbitrary and chaotic nature of the world that we have Godfather where just like butts abound free in the air in the daylight and that's not where butts are supposed to be and Marlon Brando was reading words in trees apparently and Francis Ford Coppola was in debt but still like this is going to be a perfect movie and it worked and similarly you got Val Kilmer who believes he's an unkillable god. You've got Marlon Brando, who's been checked out for two decades, a director <laughs> sleeping in the woods after he's burned his footage, and all this suffering went into a movie, and it's like, oh, that's a bad movie. <laughs> Real bad. <laughs> what is the lesson in all of this? Can we briefly talk about his assistant? His oh, tiny assistant? Yes. yes. Okay, so the tiny assistant was not scripted to be in the movie. He was just an extra, and Brando was like, I want him in every scene that I'm in. <laughs> I love this guy. So yeah. you know how he's kind of like slumping in every chair and looking down? I just imagine the cue cards are on the little guy. <laughs> that would That's probably true. Brando everything. loves the human canvas. <laughs> he loves it. I need that little guy. You have a better Brando, so I'm not going to do it. But I need that little guy. He reminds me of my dialogue baby from the past. <laughs> it's baby science, doesn't it? We'll edit that, so I did the voice. Well, the only reason Brando had signed onto the movie in the first place was because he liked Richard Stanley. Exactly. So yeah. they fired Richard Stanley before Brando gets a set, and when he finally gets a set, he's like, well, fuck this movie. <laughs> like, he just completely checks Is out. my cash still coming? <laughs> yes. <laughs> in unmarked bills in a very large briefcase. All the worry. insane costumes he wears in the movie were just his idea. He's like, I feel like I should wear those. The white paint yeah. was, yeah. I think, <laughs> just like sunscreen so his, or well, something. The white paint was so that his stand-in could do most of his shots oh, right. for him. Yes. <laughs> like, he was like, I'm yeah. not doing shit <laughs> <laughs> Wielding what? that level of power is unbelievable to watch it like work out successfully. And it does like work like, okay, because I haven't seen The Island of Dr. Moreau, because I don't have a feature length attention span. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're on this podcast. Ex oh, no. Example of wielding power that is incredible is Britney Spears in her Las Vegas uh, residency has a full 45-minute portion of the show that is themed bad out of hell. Like, Meatloaf's like bad Loaf? out of hell. Yes. Her she dancers, do the whole, does she do the whole album? No, she oh. does her songs, but it's the album cover from Bad Out of Hell <laughs> behind her, and her dancers are dressed as bats through her greatest hits. That's her Brando moment. That's like the I pop think. music equivalent of wearing like a Metallica t-shirt from Forever 21. Exactly. <laughs> that makes me so mad. Oh, it was uh, beautiful so to behold. She, so she just never acknowledges that she has bad out of hell stuff on stage. She's clearly a loaf head, but she doesn't want to explicitly state it. <laughs> what if, <laughs> what if Meatloaf snuck on a stage like Richard Stanley and is like just an extra in the back? It's one of the dancers. Right. <laughs> He's like an Easter egg. Right. <laughs> I want to say, with costuming stuff, this is a movie where I've heard like three different rumors about just Brando's costume. Uh, one is that he was in all the like white makeup and then sunglasses and a big hat, so this, his stand-in could do most of the like walking around and scenes like that. And then apparently he also found an ice bucket 
just on set and was like, that's a good hat. And then that was his hat. <laughs> that was it. And then the one that is, to me, somehow the least crazy is that apparently he wanted to be wearing a hat so that partway through the movie he could reveal that he had a blowhole the whole time on his head <laughs> because he was half dolphin uh, the whole yeah. time. That's smart. Yeah. As opposed to a whale, which would have been offensive to his, his girth at the time. That's true. <laughs> but it's not cool. And in his defense, wh- what a twist. <laughs> what a, no yeah. one would have seen that coming. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm weirdly on board for it because the movie's about animals that are half human. So right. I'm like, not. I'm not. And, I, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking apart the wrong things here, but a single blowhole does not half a dolphin make. <laughs> There's so much more to dolphins than the one fucking uh, thing. Also, why would you pick that one thing? Why wouldn't you pick like some flippers or like a tail mm-hmm. fin or, or really like a cool bottle teeth yeah. Yeah. like dolphins have. Or s- like sonar. <laughs> yeah. Like that would yeah. be really useful. Now, I want the hole in my head. Yeah, no. <laughs> what a jackass. Dave and I are on the right side of history on this one. <laughs> I'll be over here being wrong. Um there's one other Brando thing where uh, it's a rumor that uh, he was in the movie we're going down the Brando tracks yeah. you can get on the train or not the movie the movie the score uh, he's in and apparently the, the rumor is he uh, was feeling conscious about his weight you know self-conscious and uh, he said that he didn't want to be filmed below the waist and they weren't sure they could do that so he just refused to wear pants to set because then if he didn't have pants on, they'd have. If they tried to show him below the waist, you know, uh, uh, legs, you know, no way. Once again, yeah. once again, Brando's ass. <laughs> also, at the very at the very end shot of that movie is a scene of him sitting there smiling because I think it's De Niro gets away, but yeah. he refused to smile, so they had to CGI a smile onto his face because he just he was like, no, man, I wouldn't do that. That's right. so. That that must be so frustrating because because <laughs> I remember I, I think I was working in a movie theater when that movie came out. Um, it's like early 2000s, right? Something yeah, like that. yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. like you've aged me in front of this whole group of people. I apologize. Um, and I think everyone was really excited because it was like Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro are going to be on screen together and talking to each other and isn't that exciting? And Brando, just fucking put pants on, you piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Please. This is important to a lot of people who want to see you act against each other. You're going to die soon. We can all feel it. <laughs> Please smile. That's all you need to do in this scene is smile. <laughs> Not going to do it with computers. No. Well, I, I'm fascinated by the idea of what another movie star of his caliber would think about how obstinate and difficult and eccentric he is. Right. Like, uh, Val Kilmer obviously thought it was funny, <laughs> but uh, Johnny Depp in Don Juan DeMarco clearly learned everything he knows about being a movie star from Marlon Brando in that film, <laughs> because now he's basically Brando. But, but worse. But, <laughs> but, but who smells like cigarettes all the time. Yeah. He's like Brando, only more insufferable. Yeah. 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 Well, because didn't, didn't uh, Johnny Depp had some trouble with Pirates 5, right? Like, wasn't there uh, animal smuggling? Yeah, he smuggled some animals yeah. into Australia with his uh, estranged wife, Amber Heard, and... Estranged is delicate. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm very. He's different. a full-on I'm, villain. I'm, yeah. I'm, yep. I'm a journalist. I have to be uh, objective at all times. I'll say it. He's he a full-on villain. He sucks. Yeah. <laughs> he sucks. All right. I'll admit it. He sucks. Um, but he he was getting his lines fed to him through an earpiece, according to a lawsuit brought by his managers. Oh shit. Oh. Yeah. So he he was 
basically like 0.7 Brandoing. That's worse because he doesn't even have to read. Well, and he's in the movie. F- <laughs> he's in the whole movie, right? That's like beyond Brando. Yeah. I, uh, the, and like, when you read that, I was immediately thinking of like the bad episode of every television show where someone goes on a date and their friend is feeding lines to them of like, this is what you should say to make someone fall in love with you. But it's like that for Johnny Depp in a role he should not even have to phone in. <laughs> right. But is like he's actively choosing to. Yeah, right. You're already yeah. playing a guy who has a substance abuse problem. Right. Just and lean I, into that and don't worry. If you right. put out your lines, I've you're just seen, like... I've seen the movie. I think most of his lines are like, I don't know, a ghost shark, and look more pirates, and like, take your clothes off. Like, <laughs> Is he talking to the Take sharks? five seconds and remember. <laughs> the director's going to say, okay, in this scene there's a ghost shark, and then like react as if there's a ghost shark. Okay, I still need it fed to me. I still need someone. <laughs> Do I like the shark? Are we friends? Yes. What's my relationship to actor. the shark? <laughs> That's worse than Brando, I think, because at least Brando, he's like... He's not in a lot of these movies that we're talking about, and there's like talented performers around him. Like Johnny Depp's in every fucking minute of these pirates movies. <laughs> and also, yeah. like for Brando, like ground level, he needs to be able to read to execute the ruse. Yeah. Johnny Depp does not need to even be literate to do Pirates 5. We don't know if he is or not. We don't know if he can read. Can the man read? And also, he uh, (laughs) had a hard time getting to set every day because he was partying so much in, I guess, Australia. Australia, yeah. Yeah. It's like, bro, you're... in your 50s, man. Yeah, but when you're Pump just like super rich, why wouldn't you that's just true. get up yeah, and just true. drink and then go back to sleep and wake up and whatnot? And Maybe he was method because he's a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait Bet to not. fist fight Johnny Depp. I can't wait to fist fight him and win. Can we start a kick out of surprise to get Jamie yeah. to fist fight Johnny Depp? Let's raise some money for a good cause. I <laughs> can kick his ass and I will. <laughs> yeah. Johnny Depp, if you're listening, I know you are. All the money... <laughs> I assumed he was here. All this money for this Kickstarter will go to whatever fucking stupid scarf company you run. (laughs) Whatever charity of your case, whatever stupid thing puts soul patches on children in the Middle East or whatever, (laughs) you shit. Just do it. Just fight Jamie on television for us, please. Please fight me on television. Uh, But when all that stuff was coming out about him being fed through the earpiece, he counters that, like, how do I get some good press? He shows up at the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Disneyland and poses where his animatronic would normally be. And he's like, surely this will fix everything. Like... And to an extent, you know, the little clickbait, they're like, hey, look, it wasn't in a puppet today. It was Johnny Depp. You'd never know. And right. Like, like, right. I wonder how many boats went by and just didn't notice. Yeah. They're just like, oh, that's still sort of chilling to the bone. Yeah. Like, I wish a baby threw up on him at the end of the ride. Right. And how many vacations it sort of ruined if you're a family with, like, teenage girls and like, oh, wow, it's actually Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah, stay inside the thing. Stay, <laughs> like, just keep going. Don't look at him. Don't look at him. He's unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> when this comes out, we will never be in Mordecai 2. God. Which is a real Man. shame, because I wanted to grow a fancy mustache. You know what? It's summer, and what a great time to tackle some kind of fun new project like making a meal you've never made before. Blue Apron makes incredible home cooking easy and accessible by delivering seasonal recipes with step-by-step instructions and pre-portioned ingredients right to your door, all for less than $10 per meal. You can customize the recipe based on your preferences, you can set up a delivery that's right for you, and there's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. 
This June, just some of the meals available include warm smoked trout and asparagus salad with fingerling potatoes and garlic croutons, or spiced zucchini enchiladas with creamy lime and tomato rice. Am I good at reading foods? Let me know on Twitter. Elote-style vegetable tostadas with summer squash, poblano peppers, and cilantro rice. And peach honey glazed chicken with mashed sweet potatoes, collard greens, and Thai basil. It's all fresh, it's all right to your door. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash cracked. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait, that's blueapron.com slash cracked. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Our friends there are ready to help you with your next big idea showcasing your work, selling your products and services, sharing your ideas on a blog, and just being a high-quality internets person. Squarespace makes you look like an expert right away, even if you're not one, and you can even get a unique domain to strengthen your brand and make it easier for people to find you right away. You can arrange everything with the click of a mouse, there's nothing to install or patch or upgrade, and their award-winning 24-7 customer support team can help you with any problem, no matter how technical or trivial seeming. Think of them as your very own IT department, and if you want to write like Silicon Valley-style fanfic about them, yeah, it's your prerogative. Make your next move and start your free trial at squarespace.com today. Enter offer code CRACKED to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's CRACKED. If you've never been there, C-R-A-C-K-E-D to get 10% off your first purchase just because you're our pal. Speaking of the sea, there's a, a film called The Abyss. I believe Tom has strong thoughts on it. It's a James Cameron film. I do. Yeah, um, yeah James Cameron, if you've noticed, like, there's only like a handful of people that ever work with him more than once and they're his friends like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bill Paxton, Michael Biehn and yeah. Jeanette Goldstein. They're the only ones who work with him more than once because it turns out that every time he makes a movie he makes everyone fucking hate him and nobody wants to talk to him ever again. And that's a bad thing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, well, I don't know because we get awesome movies at the end of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> we refuse to take a stance on if hatred is a bad thing. <laughs> right. I mean, we get sweet Jim Cameron movies out of it, so, I mean, <laughs> I don't bully people. I don't know. I don't, I don't. But um, The Abyss, if you haven't seen it, it's a movie that takes place entirely at the bottom of the ocean. And the way that he filmed this was uh, in South Carolina. It was a, an abandoned uh, nuclear power plant and these two big <laughs> cooling tanks that he just filled with water. Like, it took five days to fill one of them. It was like seven million gallons in one tank or something. So they filmed the entire movie in these two tanks, and he puts all of his actors underwater for the entire movie. So there's a lot of like almost drownings. There's a scene in the movie where the, uh, Ed Harris, who's the star, uh, is wearing a helmet full of this breathable liquid that actually exists, but it hasn't been used on, on, on uh, people successfully, which I'll come back to. <laughs> Long time for you to search for the word people. <laughs> How you know, one of you types. One yeah. of, how many <laughs> rats did it kill, though? Do we know how many rats? It well, he killed? literally drowns a rat on screen with it oh, in the movie. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. Jim. It, I mean, it lives because it's a. It, it, but it's like you can see this. It's a really long shot of them holding this rat in this breathable liquid, and it's like freaking out. Ed Harris does that. No, it, I, it's um. I don't remember which character it is. When you see it, it's just a close-up of a hand, yeah. so it might actually be James Cameron drowning this rat. Yeah. Well, um, it's James Cameron's hands drawing Kate. Winslet's titties in Titanic. That's sure his is. hand. That's is that his real? sketch. Yeah. Really? Did he ask yeah. for that role? Did he get sag? Did he get sag scale for that? Yeah. Yeah. Great He's like, hands. I'd like to do the most perverted thing in the movie. Thank you. And 
<laughs> but that's um, fucked. I oh yeah. It. <laughs> but so, anyways, it's a scene where Ed Harris is supposed to be using this breathable liquid to go to like the very, very bottom of the ocean to look at an alien spaceship, but you can't use this liquid on people. So he's just wearing a helmet that's full of water while he's underwater filming. <laughs> so he's like double Wait. fucked. <laughs> and, like, and so there's at one point where he starts to drown. And uh, every actor in the movie had, I think, two safety divers, but both of his safety divers got like tangled up in lines and like <laughs> couldn't make it to him. And uh, they finally made it to him and brought him out and everything. But Jim Cameron just kept rolling the entire time. So when they pulled him out of the water, Ed Harris punched him in the head. <laughs> I wanted to do that after Avatar, I'll yeah. tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he and uh, the female lead, Mary Elizabeth uh, Mastrantonio, both vowed to never, ever work with him again. There's a scene where you know, she drowns, and then he has to bring her back to life uh, because they only have one uh, scuba suit, and they have to go from one vessel to the other. And it's... Ed Harris dragging her, it's like not a stunt woman, he's dragging Mary Elizabeth Mastertonio underwater uh -huh. for like a really long time and then they have to get her up there and it's a scene where he's like doing CPR, so he's like pounding on her chest and she's like naked because they had to rip her shirt open and everything. And it's like this really, really painful, drawn out scene and like he kept making her do it. <laughs> so it got, oh it got to a point where she's like, I'm not doing this anymore. So a lot of the scene is just coverage of Ed Harris because they couldn't show her because she wasn't in it anymore. It's just him screaming at nothing because she's like, fuck this, I'm not doing this anymore. Wow. Yeah. Jamie, you mentioned Titanic. There's also a thing I heard. I don't know whose fault it is, but... Iceberg. Everything. Oh, right. <laughs> Hubris and an iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Titanic, during the filming of Titanic, apparently there was some sort of crew lunch and everybody was eating some kind of soup or something. And then the soup, it turned out, was laced with some sort of very powerful PCP put in it by someone. And then it, James so the Cameron. whole crew was on PCP for about a day. And 50 people were put in the ER. And uh, that was just going on in the middle of Titanic. Still worked out. And Still the most money. And that's why we never know why she tr didn't try to get on to the little staircase part. That was because everyone was on PCP. No one was like, why doesn't she try to save her own life? You yeah. know, or, or why doesn't Leonardo DiCaprio? Listen, I have a lot of issues with Titanic. Go <laughs> on. Hey. Continue. Like what? About it. That like, it's great? <laughs> well, first of all, James Cameron draws the breasts. That's a problem. That's pretty gross. Yes. Right, right away, I'm not on board. And then he also, James Cameron was uh, responsible for Kate Winslet getting pneumonia because he kept forcing her to like tread through ice cold water. Why ice cold? Because that's what they did. But <laughs> like they died. <laughs> I also feel like like hearing these two facts. If we're wondering who the merry prankster who drugged all the food is, I think we it's found Jim Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's James Cameron. I yeah. feel like James Cameron is like the perpetual second chair clarinet player, and the whole <laughs> world to him is the first chair clarinet player. <laughs> And he's like, how can I get revenge in literally any sneaky teenage way? Let me drown a beautiful actress. Yeah. That, or, and, and then draw her naked. What you're describing <laughs> is Tanya Harding, basically. I, he's got, he's he really got a seems to hate the people in, in his movies. Yeah. Right, right. But like James gets away with it. Tanya is like, we're, let's give Tanya another chance. Well, <laughs> Tanya didn't make Terminator 2. Tanya did not make Terminator 2. Good That's point. True. 
But she was an avatar. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I feel personally attacked as a second chair clarinet. (laughs) You should connect with him. He's probably looking for other second chairs to commiserate with. No, I think I think you're like deeply misrepresenting what our like. like, uh, Me and Brian Anderson, the first chair, had a really strong connection. (laughs) Like there was, we were not enemies. We supported each other. This podcast is over. I mean, you just proved the second chair clarinet attitude (laughs) a a million times over. I almost want to make the rest of it a band show. We should just talk about (laughs) trumpet for me. Um, Not uh, a dork, so I didn't play any instruments. uh, I was too busy smoking weed. I was first chair oboe, so I'm very well... (laughs) (laughs) Please fist fight me! I would like to be number one. Okay, cool, 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 cool. They also, after, after that person said that, if you didn't hear on mic, they said, me too, about Obo. Somebody was running to the bathroom, but I thought they were running on stage to, to like, embrace Candy <laughs> and have a moment. I have a band story, too. <laughs> you know what? Let's, uh, let's keep it in the 90s. Uh, I... There's another uh, film we want to talk about. It's called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was made Ooh. in uh, 1990. Uh, there's a few of them. This one was made in 1990. Yeah. And I only recognize I, a 2014 film. That's a classic. <laughs> oh, boy. So good. Will Arnett, hilarious. If you're listening at home, Dave is in a turtle outfit. And uh, <laughs> really loving it. Tom, you'd pointed out uh, some really weird lengths they went to with that. Oh movie. yeah, to make the costumes for the turtle movie because they used practical effects and not CGI like in your version. Oh, um, <laughs> sorry, you don't like progress. <laughs> you know who's in the turtles movies? Corey Feldman. That's not okay. <laughs> He's in the first one, and then he, he was not invited back because he got busted for cocaine. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, they went to Jim Henson Studios to make the turtle costumes, which was weird because it was the only time uh, Jim Henson ever made something that wasn't for a Jim Henson movie. And so what they came up with were two different kinds of suits. One were just straight rubber suits for all like the martial arts and the skateboard riding and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and the others were these really, really complicated costumes that had two different sets of motors in the face uh, that were operated by two different puppeteers. You had one puppeteer for the eyes and one puppeteer for the mouth, and then also the person in the costume. So each performance for each turtle had to be rehearsed very meticulously with three different people. Three, three people? people? <laughs> yeah. 7,000 Korean people made the CGI turtles. <laughs> That's way more people. This is not a numbers game. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's how we determine what movie is best, is how many people made yes, the turtle. That's yeah. right. That's why Transformers, how The many, Lost Knight's going to be so good. How many people made the bad thing? <laughs> in addition to you know, having to really coordinate all these performances, they're also wearing all of the mechanical stuff in the shells on their backs, which is like an extra 70 pounds. And they're also huh. sewn into their uh, turtle costumes. They're like glued together like... Franz Ferdinand was like sewed into his uniform. So you can't see the seams, but like they're filming this in North Carolina in like the blazing summer heat, and they're sewn into these giant rubber costumes with heavy machinery on their back for an entire day. And I think we got a, we have a clip, right? We have a clip? Yeah, we actually, so we have a clip of the lengths they went to. You said they spent an entire day shooting uh, what we're about to show these folks uh, in the clip from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Pizza dudes got 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. 
That's Corey Feldman. Hey, Mikey. Bad guy. Do think about what Splinter said tonight? I mean, about what it would be like. So, you know, not having them. Six people hmm. are required for these two turtles. Time's up. Three bucks off. Uh, you know why you don't see them below the waist? Because they're not wearing pants. Right. <laughs> so that little shot took an entire day to film. Yeah. Like an that, entire day. <laughs> and that, I believe, was a dialogue between two mutant turtles, uh, one of them facing the grim reality of death. Right. And the other uh, wanting a pizza. Right. <laughs> wanting a discount on pizza. Yeah. Yes. Like, Donatello comes up there, he's like, oh, our father is near death. What are we going to do when he dies? And Mikey's like, uh, this is pizza time. And I don't care about any of this. Yeah. That's Nothing sort of an optimistic saying. way to look at life, though. Like, even after a loved one passes, it's a pizza time. It's true. <laughs> it's a pizza time. That's a spicy meatball. Italian We're stereotypes. We're gone full That's circle. what this show's about. Yeah. 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 You know what? This is a surprisingly natural segue to another movie. Uh, <laughs> Um, many films in the history of film that have been celebrated and lauded, and none more than Master of Disguise, Yay! a 2002 okay, film. I felt this one coming. I was like, racist Italian representation? Let's talk about the Master of Disguise. Yeah. How many people made his turtle scene? <laughs> okay, the turtle scene, as we well know, is the, uh, the, maybe the only scene from the Master of Disguise, which if you don't remember, is the only Dana Carvey vehicle ever to exist. 2002. Yeah, I guess you haven't Queen seen Slate. Opportunity, Opportunity Knox. Knox. <laughs> Clean Slate. The only one worth seeing. Shall I continue? <laughs> I saw The Master of Disguise uh, because it came out on my 10th birthday. And I loved it. I used to write little OCD child movie reviews every time I'd see a movie. And here's what I thought about The Master of Disguise when I saw it. Four and a half stars out of five. <laughs> I said... Excellent performance by Dana Carvey. I loved it. He could totally pull off the dorky Italian guy with a mission. End of review. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, but the most remarkable scene in a movie 68 full minutes long <laughs> is... That is an accurate number. That's true. Is the turtle-turtle scene where Dana Carvey says the famous line, turtle-turtle, and he's dressed like a turtle. There's a reason it's not important. Because uh, he's the turtliest member of the Turtle Club. Yeah. Okay, you're familiar actually, with the I've work. I've seen the film, yes. Yeah, actually, and, we and, both wrote our papers and on Jamie, this. Just, I wanna, we have a little bit of a clip of it just to show. We real do? Uh, Thank uh, God. Let's oh, right now uh, roll a little bit of the end of that Turtle Club scene from Master of Disguise. Good treat for us. Hey, folks, this is Alex in the studio. We're about to play another movie clip. I think the previous ones stood on their own, but this one from Master of Disguise deserves a blow-by-blow breakdown. It demands one. You're going to hear a lot of sound effects and it doesn't speak to everything that happens. First of all, Dana Carvey is in his Turtle Man outfit with his love interest, played by the actress Jennifer Esposito. As they're leaving the room, the leader of three businessman types bullies him. Hey, baby. Can I uh, buy you a drink? <laughs> Maybe some pond water for your friend? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now Dana Carvey retracts his head into his suit shell. It's like a green suit with a turtle shell built into it. The businessman looked down his neck hole, wondering where he went. We have a POV from inside the neck hole. Turtle! Where'd he go? 
Next, Dana Carvey's head shoots back up out of his shell neck hole, and Dana Carvey bites off the businessman's nose, leaving behind a flat patch of flesh where the man's nose used to be. Okay, that series of sound effects is Dana Carvey spitting the man's nose out of Dana Carvey's mouth and back onto the man's face where it like boings into place. (laughs) And that last sound was Dana Carvey turtle laughing about it. Then the next shot is Dana Carvey spinning in circles on his back. You like see it from the ceiling. And then we're also crossfading to a whole new scene where Dana Carvey is driving a scooter around town. So that's what happens in those, I don't know, 10 seconds. Now let's take you back to our live show where we just made a room full of people watch that together because talking about movies is a joy. Where to begin? (laughs) (laughs) There's so much I have to say about that 15 second clip. My blood pressure is an all time high. I'm not in the business of (laughs) criticizing 10 year old film reviewers. I do not find your review helpful at all. I feel like it misses some key things. Did you not see things. the dorky Italian guy with a mission? Yeah, her <laughs> portray- review is on Rotten Tomatoes. She's a top critic. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, a few things about that scene. Most important thing, that scene, for real, was filmed on September 11th, 2001. <laughs> That's a true thing. It was shot in Los Angeles by a director named Perry Andelin Blake, who to this day has never directed another movie. But this was a scene, it was like, and, and I know this because I've watched the, uh, the, the commentary track for Master of Disguise. <laughs> there's, there's a commentary for a 68-minute movie? <laughs> I had to look so hard to find it, but I found the last copy of the Master of Disguise on DVD in all of New England. And watch the track they talk about that openly in the thing where they're just like oh yeah this was on 9-11 wasn't it and and dana carvey and the director grow very solemn during the turtle turtle scene and they say yeah tough morning for everyone you know (laughs) they're in los angeles they're far away from the event itself but they're like yeah tough morning for everyone and then like a pause as Dana Carvey bites off that man's nose. <laughs> and then they're like, but we had to keep filming. <laughs> so all said and done, they take perhaps a 15 minute break when 9-11 happens and they're like, but we've got to keep filming the turtle turtle scene because America needs to laugh It would again. be irresponsible of us to <laughs> not finish this. <laughs> they had we to return the turtle tuxedo to the tuxedo rental place the next day, right? Right. And then, yeah. and then the other important thing about that scene, uh, well, you know, everything's important about that scene, but uh, is that you also find out in the commentary track that uh, Adam Sandler, you won't believe it, is a producer on this movie <laughs> and did put in a lot of the IP that makes it the fabulous movie that everyone's forgotten. And uh, that was, uh, that's another moment in the commentary track where Dana Carvey bites off that poor man's nose and then spits it back on. This serves no plot at all. But apparently that was Adam Sandler's idea. Uh, and they, they go out of wow. their way because no one laughs, like his commentary tracks are a nightmare. And no one laughs. We just silently watch. We just found out it's 9-11. <laughs> And then he bites off the guy's nose, spits it back on, and then just long pause, and then Dana Carvey says, that was Sandler's idea. (laughs) (laughs) Cut to the next scene. Here's why this is the perfect crime. 
no one will ever know if you're lying. No one will ever yeah. track down the director's Verify commentary me. of Pistachio Disguise yeah. in Master of Disguise. That was His tiny. name is Pistachio Disguise? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's Italian. He's the spicy meatball. Yeah. James Brolin is in this movie. First of all, Dana Carvey is 46 when this movie is being filmed. His character, and this is positioned as not a joke at all, his character is 23 years old. <laughs> and he keeps saying it. He's like, I'm only 23 years old. I'm going to be a master of disguise. Then he appears in a series of extremely racist things and, and like costumes. And he introduces no less than four different catchphrases, which within 68 minutes, none of them managed to take off. <laughs> where, and uh, the movie 68 minutes long, which means that uh, there is, I'll link you guys. <laughs> There's nine different endings to this movie because I think that they had to like contractually meet like 80 minutes long. But the movie ends at minute 68 and then the credits are 12 minutes long. They run out of credits and continue to run a blooper reel of Dana Carvey goofing off in George W. Bush costume. There's also, it's I mean, Tom, Tom and I are trying to beat each other to this point. But, um, <laughs> Please. Brent Spiner, who famously Brent played Spiner? Data yes. and, and uh, uh, long hair from Independence Day. And, and yes. uh, Out to Sea? Yeah. He's oh, you mean the guy who does the Probably. fart joke yeah. in Master of Disguise? In Master of Disguise, like, he's, he's, he's the main villain, and his, his thing is he farts a lot? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that I said that before Tom did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I worked in a movie theater the summer that came out. And Same. So when you said you were 10, me and Tom got real mad. <laughs> And we had the big lobby uh, stand-up, which was the Master of Disguise, and it was a wheel that you could turn to see each of his uh, hilarious disguises. Yeah. <laughs> it was a real treat. Of that wheel, maybe three of the disguises actually appear in the movie. The rest are from the 45-minute blooper reel at the end of the movie. <laughs> you know, that movie did so poorly that he had like a depressive bout and like didn't make anything else for like 15 years. Well, sure. also, while they were making oh, that movie, 9-11 happened. That's true, yeah. 9 <laughs> That's true. It is amazing that there is like not a suicide attached to that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as we know, you know, prove me wrong. I think I know everything about the Master of Disguise, but I'd like to be proven wrong. <laughs> Please fist fight me. It's so improved to know they were on such a mission. They were on set. We are going to make that move. Okay, the turtle back to one. We're going to go like this. <laughs> I hope they all like joined hands and they're like, should we go home? And then they were like, no. <laughs> because that means the terrorists win. <laughs> if we don't film the turtle turtles. <laughs> this is also, too important. It's so crazy because this, is, this will certainly become uh, a number of generations JFK that like the question where were you on 9-11 sophomore chemistry class AP chemistry with Miss Destino when, they, when Principal Rafter made the announcement on the loudspeaker and I turned to Amy and this is what I said and there are going to be people who, people who worked on this movie who were like uh, yeah I was, I was there too I was, I was with that kid said I definitely wasn't like mapping out a guy's nose to get ripped off by a turtle <laughs> and then spit back on. I was in the classroom, too. I was, in, I was doing some totally different normal Jennifer thing. Jennifer Esposito knows exactly where she was <laughs> when 9-11 are, happened. Are there any Master of Disguise 9-11 conspiracy theories? Is, was it mentioned in Loose Change? Is 68 no. a significant number? Yeah, I mean, 68 may very well be. Or if we're talking about, you know, 45, which is the number of minutes that bloopers take place <laughs> in this movie. 
someone's got to break it down. Yeah. Yeah. I am am racking my brain for which movie to segue to. <laughs> uh, we don't have far, to segue. Let's just stay here. Yeah, let's just go. Um, <laughs> one. Uh, I can do something with buildings falling down if you want to segue. Oh, oh no! I know, I know, right. but stick with me. God, is Man of Steel on this list? Hey, he t- <laughs> he took a bullet for me. Okay, that was helpful. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. So um, <laughs> this is uh, hopefully not as depressing as 9/11, but one of my <laughs> favorite comedy and performers of all time is Buster Keaton. He was born in 1895 and died in 1966, so it's fine if none of you know who he, who he was. He was a silent era comedian, and like anyone who's seen the non-sitting-at-a-table talking videos that I've done at Cracked have known how, like, how much fun physical stuff is for me, like falling down and doing stuff. Like I'm, I'm at heart definitely a clown, and Buster Keaton was for sure the last great clown that we've ever had, and he was a writer, performer, comedian, filmmaker whose influence can be seen absolutely everywhere. If you don't know who he is by me saying this, then you know there's the iconic scene, and here's where he ties it in, where the building falls down, and there's the guy standing in the window, and he gets perfectly framed out by the building. He's like standing in front of a front of a house that is falling on him, and because he happens to be positioned where the window is, he doesn't get crushed by it. It just like lands around him, and you're like, boy, I wonder how they did that. They just did it. <laughs> they just pushed a giant two-ton wall on him, and he didn't get hit by it, and it was amazing. And it was one of those things where there were people at the time who were like, why can't we just use like a fiberglass thing, and it was like, no, because then it'll like it get caught with the wind, and it won't look like a real wall falling on the famous actor Buster Keaton. Right. And in documentaries in the past, there, uh, Buster Keaton has been like, yeah, it was three inches past my head. If I had like done this, if I had done this, if I had done this, then I'm 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 dead. Or he didn't say I'm dead. You would. He said you would have heard a lot of people on the crew say, oh golly, and. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> but not a lot of people would have even said that instantly because the majority of the crew turned away. No one could even look at this stunt. And it magically worked out. If you see any Buster Keaton film, a hallmark of them, that he tries to use less like dialogue plates, whatever those cards are, where, where you see a bunch of people doing like silent film stuff and then it cuts to a title card that is like, I hope you will be my wife. Um, this has gotten like playfully anti-Italian. That's what most of I mean, in many ways, Buster Keaton was his generation's Dana Carvey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you need um, to know, kids, who he, he was. Yeah. And here's my second lecture on the master of disguise. <laughs> but uh, his his whole thing was like to use as few bits of dialogue and words as possible, so he can like just let everything live in the visual visuals. And the other hallmark of his movies was the sheer amount of crazy stunts that you've never seen before. They've got like trains falling off bridges and people jumping off cliffs and like him flipping out of windows and doing like crazy stunts. And they're all amazing and they're all real. It's this bizarre behind the scenes thing where it's like, there's a movie, Sherlock Jr., where he's like hanging from a water tower and the water tower opens and all this water like shoots out with tremendous pressure and he's hanging on and it knocks him down and then he like gets up like a clown and like walks on and goes about his day. And I'm like, man, how do they do that? Oh, well, they shot him with three tons of water. <laughs> he landed, bashed his head on a train track, was bleeding, and was like, a good thing I got this hat. And like walked away. It's one of those things that like I'm so happy that it exists, but it's so unfortunate that every Buster Keaton movie you see, you have to appreciate more because he's putting his body through actual torture because he was just so 
strict about A, giving you something you've never seen before, and B, never fake a gag. He had these things that were called impossible gags, and a uh, rule that he had was either we get this in one take or we throw out the gag because he just wanted to do like a cool looking thing. There's one, I forget what movie it is, but there's a scene where there are two rooftops and he starts building a plank and he's going to jump from one rooftop to the next and hilariously he runs, jumps, just misses and falls through like balcony after balcony after, like just falls through a bunch of, you've, you've seen the scene before in like Looney Tunes. Yeah, they, cartoons. Sure. They, they, they yeah, crush yeah. through things. That was he a land, live human man. He lands in a dumpster <laughs> and then like goes on about his day. A, that's painful and great and hilarious. B, he was supposed to make that jump. (laughs) And then he looked at the footage and was like, I didn't make it. That's kind of funny, too. (laughs) All right, keep it in. (laughs) I don't know. What what Tom Cruise pulled off from The Mummy this weekend is way cooler than that. (laughs) Yes, me. Did they frame up the shot for, like, he'll definitely miss and we'll just catch seven stories of falling? <laughs> like, like, some guy with one of those old-timey cameras the size of a car, like, Ooh, like, just <laughs> catching it up. Yeah, where, had multiple is, cameras. where is that documentary? Like, the Buster Keaton Plan B crew of, like, how are we going to catch this? Yeah. yeah. Okay, you're down here in case Buster dies. So we can just catch and it. if they die, they make a lot of money selling that footage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to the news. <laughs> And it does seem like old, old Hollywood was an era and a place where people just went for it. Like, part of the process of making a movie was probably human deaths. You might know the movie Ben-Hur from the 50s, but there was an earlier one from the 20s where they have a lot of the same scenes. Not a lot of people have seen Ben-Hur, but there's a big chariot race in, in, in both of them. And in the 20s, when the director was watching what they were doing for the chariot race, and he was like, ah, this isn't quite action-packed enough for me. So he told the guys doing the race, hey, this is an actual race now. I'm going to give $100 in old-timey money <laughs> to... Like it's black different. and white it's money? Right, black and white. To whoever wins the race, like actually wins the race, they were all like, oh great, we'll definitely do this. And then he had them go ahead and do like an actual race, immediate huge pileup of chariots crashing, several horses die, and he's just like, yeah, that's a keeper. Got Cut it. it, print it, we're using that. Casual horse death was a remarkable part of early filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. Like in the old movies when you'd, like a horse would get like shot and have to like fall down, what they did was they would just trip it. They would basically tie a rope to its legs and just let it go until it hit maximum distance and then it would like trip itself and then break its legs. Right, it's die. crazy in like the 40s and 50s where they're like, like how'd you get the horse to do that safely? And they're like, safely? We safe. barely think women we are people. Them. What are you talking about? <laughs> We're killing lots of horses. We Listen. fed the crew with its meat. <laughs> yeah, use every part of the horse, but like... <laughs> I think maybe we're onto something here, though, because it's like if, if maybe if we were killing more horses for entertainment, maybe Johnny Depp wouldn't be using these earpieces. Maybe I mean, he'd be like, there's stakes here. There are horse lives here. <laughs> Why don't get this shot right? They're maybe he shows up at work like, well, a horse is certainly not going to die. That's illegal. <laughs> and, and then we get Pirates 5. <laughs> Uh, there was also, with um, older movies in general, The Wizard of Oz. What a beloved film. So great. The first person to play the Tin Man almost oh, died no. of the oh, Tin no. Man costume. <laughs> he survived. Uh, and it's the, the semi-famous now actor, Buddy Ebsen, who's Judd Clampett on the Beverly Hillbillies. With and that thick, thick, thick Boston accent. 
yeah. that he plays the Tin Man with. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, a hot. That whole thing. <laughs> very, yeah. very Kennedy, yeah. Uh, and he, the first guy they had doing it, they basically just spray painted him with metal. And then he uh, reacted very poorly to it because the human body's not supposed to do that. They interviewed him about it and he was like, it was several days later when my cramps began. My first symptoms have been a sh- noticeable shortness of breath. And then from there he found out he like, could only stop the cramping by forcing his fingers and toes to straighten out. One night in bed, I woke up screaming. All of this was from the costume for the first Tim. And so then they got a different guy with a different costume, and then that guy got like rampant eye infections from what they costumed him in. And they uh, also shot for like 16-hour days on very hot sound stages, and they made The Wizard of Oz anyway. Yeah, I'm glad that things are safer now. I'm so yeah. jealous of how things used to go, where, where it was creative people throwing stuff at the wall, and you're just spray painting some Boston guy, and they're like, is that safe? I don't know, it's the past. (laughs) We don't know things yet. We pay these people an old-timey money. We have no idea. Also in The Wizard of Oz, uh, the the woman who does still play, you know, she survives to play the Wicked Witch of the West, Margaret Hamilton, uh, there's like that scene, her first scene, where there's like a big burst of real fire, and she shows up, and the first take they did of that they lit her on fire and they had to like go back and reshoot it later when her face wasn't quite so on fire. Uh, (laughs) But she came back and still did it. It's man, they must've been giving her two whole dollars for that. They (laughs) paid her in gold Kruger. Yeah. (laughs) They like slacked that green makeup on her afterwards. Like I had read that like, Cause she was legit burned, like she had right. burns on yeah. her, and they still were like, she got like terrible infection from. Because apparently all the old timey makeup was just poison, <laughs> right? And they're just you know, rubbing this, that shit all over her burns. This yeah, will make fine. you. This will make you look super fucking tin. Uh, <laughs> you might wake up with some night screams. The last guy got night screams, but we fired him, so don't worry I would about be quiet it. about don't it if you didn't it. get your night screams. How does it look so tin? It's tin. It's just. Tin. <laughs> <laughs> There's surprisingly modern movies with characters where, like when we were talking about Titanic before, when they were like, it's cold water because it was cold, which brings us to The Passion of the Christ. Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus, went through a lot of physical pain in the process of it. And part of it was that they ended up by accident actually whipping him in uh, the scenes where Jesus is being whipped because uh, they like did it and Mel Gibson was like, that didn't look that great. Try this with the whip, Mr. Whip Guy. And Whip Guy was like, sure. And 14 inch gash just down him. I swear we'll get out of the body horror kind of thing. We'll just, it's, it's uh, another thing that happened on that movie was uh, Jim Caviezel and one of the assistant directors got struck by lightning. Huh. That must have been so <laughs> rad to see. <laughs> wow. Was this a dude dressed like Jesus getting struck by lightning? <laughs> Come on. Right. Was this also somehow per Mel Gibson's request? <laughs> Only he knows, man. Yeah. Only he knows. <laughs> That's probably what it was. Like, I was aiming for Mel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. So yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a story about it, the BBC report on, they said that uh, they interviewed a producer who saw it happen, and he, he said that he saw smoke coming out of Jim Caviezel's ears. <laughs> Which, again, cartoon stuff. Yeah. Like the Keaton thing. But and then this I'll... is like 2004. This is too late yeah. in history for cartoon stuff to be happening to yeah. people. Yeah. 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 That is like the hardest nope the universe has ever told out on somebody. That oh, that's guy, not happening. That poor guy could have been Wolverine. Instead, he's getting struck by lightning. Mm. Yeah. Playing Christ. Like he's a oh, poor guy. Yeah. You have to assume that in like, I don't know, 
900 or 1200 or 1700 or whatever god was like i'm not gonna step in anymore i'm gonna let people do things hey unhinged mel gibson wants to make a jesus movie all right they pulled me back in all right (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) and then he still made it make 400 million dollars the box office what a trickster that shows what god knows (laughs) his taste in movies is quite poor well because also, in particular, with the creator being mysterious, you know, uh, I mentioned that that lightning strike, Jim Caviezel and an assistant director guy got struck, and it was this guy named Jan Michelini. And this story I was reading, there's just one line in it that they don't explain any further, where it's, it was the second time Michelini had been hit by lightning during the shoot. <laughs> so he uh, got in the same guy. spot. It's crazy. No. Yeah. Another guy was hit by lightning twice and said, well, time to keep working on the Jesus movie. Let's do it. <laughs> That's so unfortunate for Michelini. He's like, hey, I've been struck by lightning. Is that not news? <laughs> okay, Jim, come here. If we wait long enough, it'll happen again. I really want my family to know. Do you think he like called his priest between the first and second lightning strike? Like, hey, do you think this is a good... Because a lightning strike, you know, you could be like, this could be good or bad. I'm interested in your feedback. (laughs) Should I go home or not? And he's like, hang in there. For sure that won't happen a second time. Yeah. There's no way. Shows what priests know. (laughs) Really came down on priests, gods, Mm -hmm. and Italians today. (laughs) Let's uh, let's lay off all those groups. Uh, (laughs) As far as modern movies with... Trouble. Clockwork Orange is relatively modern. That's in the 70s. And that's a movie where uh, Stanley Kubrick, he famously was very rough on Shelley Duvall in The Shining and uh, is uh, cruel to actors and makes them do a bunch of takes and things. But Clockwork Orange in particular, apparently he decided to just make Malcolm McDowell go insane to make the movie work. And he even went so far as to make the character have a pet snake, which is not in the script and not in the book. And Malcolm McDowell hates snakes. He just wanted him to have a horrible time with a reptile <laughs> in his movie about not reptiles at all. I don't know if you see that. It's nothing to do with it. At yeah. what point did Stanley Kubrick ask Malcolm McDowell, like, what do you really hate? <laughs> and why would he have answered right. that question, honestly? Right, Because right. <laughs> it, yeah. it would have been any animal, right? It would have just been whatever his answer was. Right, right. <laughs> now that you've signed the contract, uh, give me a list of your fears, please. <laughs> <laughs> just, we're buddies now, so it's yeah, fine. It's fine. You're going to have a pet scorpion. Yeah. And that's also, it's a movie, um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but the, the famous Eyes Held Open with Metal, while he's making him watch a thing. Uh, Apparently, they had to have doctors on hand to actually put hydrating drops in Malcolm McDowell's eyes to protect them from damage. Like, when they're putting drops in his eyes in the the movie, those are actually for a medical purpose. And then it wasn't enough. The metal, like, scraped his corneas and damaged them. I know, a little more body horror. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) It's cool. It's cool. Um... And it scraped one of them in particular, and, and Stanley's reaction was apparently, we'll just lean more on the other eye the next shot. So, great, let's go. And uh, they kept letting him make movies and, and everything. It's amazing. <laughs> I still really like everything that Buster Keaton did. A difference that I can pinpoint is, like, Buster Keaton was like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Crew, look away. I'm going to do this. I think it's going to be good. I'm suffering from my art. I'm doing this of my own accord, and this is what I want. There's such a tremendous difference between James Cameron being like, I draw the titties, and Stanley Kubrick being like, keep his eyes open, and I watch it. <laughs> it's interesting with Jim Cameron. There's like, he kind of is like a marriage of the two because one of the reasons he puts people through so much shit like in the abyss he was at the bottom of the tank with the crew like all day like he had to do decompression every day so his attitude is like well i won't ask anybody to do something i won't do 
but the problem is, is he will do anything. (laughs) (laughs) One of his quotes from filming The Abyss was like, all the actors are up there worrying about which magazine to read. I'm sitting here hanging upside down from decompression sickness. I like that spirit for specifically oh. Titanic when it's like, I wouldn't ask an actor to do something I wouldn't do. And Leonardo DiCaprio was like, I'll, I'll draw her naked. No, 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 no. I'll do it. Circle. Yeah. <laughs> Die. If you folks have any questions or comments you want to add, you can start uh, lining up over by that mic to the side there. And while you're doing that, I kind of want to ask ourselves, why, why are apparently all directors monsters? Why? I have a theory. Are, I would love yeah. to hear any of yeah. them. Yeah. I want to hijack this real quick, though. Alex doesn't know that I'm doing this. But before you get to your theory, I want to yeah. hijack this. Um, Jack used to host this podcast for a while, and then Jack uh, got on a blimp and burst into flames. It's... it's I'm sure you read the stories. It's funny. That was an outtake um, of The Wizard of Oz. This is yeah. uh, Schmidt's first time hosting this, and it's a tremendous endeavor, and I'm so glad that you all came out, and I also think we should all applaud Schmidt for doing a tremendous job. Yeah. This is really good. This is so- and Alex, I-, I made this for you in case it gets too difficult. Yeah. There is no one else in the world that I would rather be hosting this podcast and, and keeping us honest and steady than Schmitty with uh, Jack on a spoon. Uh, it's, a, what, it's a mask. What happened to the rest of his hair? Guys? <laughs> it got cut off? The accident with the blimp. I think. Oh, yes. yes, it was the blimp. Yeah. I mean, that it's another example cut. of like directors Very torturing clean. their projects. <laughs> <laughs> but go on, sorry, okay, I cut so you off. My, Thank I, you. I, I will always wait for sentimentality. It's important. My theory is that in the 60s, 50s, you know, French cinema critics started saying that directors were more important than writers and actors. And so there was this whole, whole idea that directors are, are the main creative force behind movies and that infected everything around the cinema. And so you have these very macho Hemingway wannabes making movies and torturing people because they find it amusing right. or because they believe that that means that they're more artistic yeah. because they're torturing people. Well, and I also think that, I mean, sort of piggybacking off of that, where the next generation of filmmakers is always going to pull from the, f- the generation before them and, and be taken on as, like, mentees or whatever. And if you see the Kubrick era of, like, oh, you can just yell in someone's face and ruin their lives, then, of course, the generation after that is, like, how can I top this? Yeah. <laughs> I, too, am a white man with a lot of problems. Like, whose face can I scream at until they wish yeah. to die? And, you know, and then it just sort of takes and off And how come there. it's usually a woman? Hmm? Am I, I right, ladies? No, what's up? <laughs> Not a white man table. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> let's go to, let's go to our first, qu- <laughs> first question. And, oh, uh, another white male. Great. <laughs> Shut up! Yeah. <laughs> And everybody, please give us your name when you uh, come up to. Uh, and some uh, of your fears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is Kelly, uh, second chair uh, tuba here. Daniel, second Holler. chair. I was just thinking about the, the Revenant, you know, more recent movie. And all you heard leading up to that was how it was all outdoors. They're out in the woods and Leo's out there for months and people are getting dragged through the snow and all that. And I just, and I just think of, you know, throughout the whole movie and specifically during the scene where Leo, like, actually ate part of like uh, a bear liver or a horse liver the horse liver yeah something like that like use every part of the horse how many times I know it's a a great director so I just wonder how many times it's been like Leo 
Oscar. Like, this is the one. Do all this, you know. I know Cameron promised you. I know Tarantino promised you. I know Scorsese promised you. Like, this is going to be the one. Just eat the horse Eat liver. that fucking liver. I, yeah. I could yeah, see, so. fight that bear, idiot. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> I could see both things. I could see the director being like, Ple- you know, this is going to be your thing. You're going to just do it for the Oscar. And I could also see Leo being like, I'm getting that fucking Oscar. I'm going to eat six of these. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I, I feel like more of like a Leo thing. Yeah. <laughs> This has mostly been about directors, but I think about actors who put themselves through these kinds of things, like Leo, who's like, I did sleep naked in a dead horse, and then I ate its liver, and I gained its knowledge. And <laughs> knowledge. You hear, like, knowledge. You hear, like, like, all the method actors who really, like, embody these things and, and go through these great lengths to torture themselves to get into these places. And then I hear, like, Dustin Hoffman, seconds before a film uh, scene is supposed to start, he's like, hey, Billy Crudup, you have a good time? Did you do any fucking this weekend? Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> and then he delivers an amazing performance. So it's like... The distance between how great Leonardo DiCaprio was in Revenant eating a real liver versus how good Dustin Hoffman is in anything pretending, there's no difference. They're just as good. You just like just don't eat horse livers. I guess is, is my thing. Like you don't have to do that, man. You're very famous. But like to be safe, eat the horse liver. Right. <laughs> Definitely don't throw it away. Like you don't want to waste the horse liver. Don't waste the part of the horse. Yeah. Right. Thanks, Kelly. Great. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Yeah. That helps. Great job. Give it up. For uh, our new friend. <laughs> both eat that horse liver and don't waste the horse liver. They're both available in t-shirts at our store. Oh, were those yes. catchphrases yeah. that were unused from Master of Disguise? Those are, yeah, those are ones Dana Carvey couldn't make work, but I think I'm doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, my name is Cody, and hey, Cody. Uh, a few things I want to share. So many stories, but I'm going to try to keep it short because I know we have a line. So first off, since we mentioned Pirates of the Caribbean 5, I thought this was hysterical. Given all the partying, mainly he says it was because of... Um, the divorce he was going through at the time. So legitimately, there was one person on the crew whose sole job was to stand outside of Johnny Depp's house and alert the rest of the crew when the light in his bedroom would turn on so they knew that he was awake. And a lot of times this would happen at about (laughs) 3 p.m. or so, and they would just wait outside his house all day until a light turned on. And they got paid just to let people know, okay, he's up. And I find that hysterical. Uh, That's yeah. amazing for, for I, I can only think of that guy's parents who was like, oh, Donnie is working on the Pirates movie. What's he doing? It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. That guy's job makes me think of Paul Revere right away. It's just like looking for a light. Just like... I'm sure that's what he Great. tells himself to feel good. Just like Paul Revere. Just like Paul Revere. Exactly like Paul Revere. Yeah. It's like the founding fathers. So uh, another one is with the film Goodfellas. Uh, As many of us know, Goodfellas was based on the real-life story of a real person who was in uh, witness protection with the FBI. When that movie came out, he had to be kicked off of witness protection from the FBI because the FBI couldn't get him to stop bragging to people (laughs) that the movie was about him. They kept urging, please stop. And on the set of the actual film shoot, a lot of the crew don't know how they got there, but people legitimately from that gang were always there on the movie set. <laughs> Very like intimidating the camera crew, they stole money from actors and various people, but they were from the actual gang that this whole film was based on. There was a whole hodgepodge of things going on behind the scenes of that. The, uh, that the, the movie My Blue Heaven is also based on that guy. So it's like you picture Steve Martin in that movie walking around bragging to people that he's in good, like Goodfellas, the Goodfellas is about me. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Last thing I want to bring up, uh, who here remembers the amazing kids film about a little pug and a cat who become friends called Milo and Otis? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, oh, great yeah. film. Great this film. is going to get dark. Dudley yes. Moore. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is going to get very dark. Um, so... 
There's a little thing you might notice at the end of the film, at the end of the credits, there's no blooper reel, unfortunately, but uh, at the end of the credits, <laughs> there is no little tagline that says, no animals were harmed in the making of this film. And that is because that film is actually a cut of a Japanese film, and the Japanese film is a bit longer, and you realize the scenes they cut were the scenes of the actual animals getting, not tortured, but definitely uh, in pain. Um, <laughs> some people are nodding, they know about this. Uh, does anyone remember the scene? As the cat gets, he jumps in the film, yeah, jumps off a cliff into the ocean. He didn't jump. He was thrown off that cliff into the ocean. The shoot went wrong, and you see him limping a bit. That's a legitimate broken ankle in the cat. They had to film that scene a couple times. There were many cats who died in the making of that film. And that is why at the end it does not say there were no animals harmed in the making of this film. I mean, Are Cody, you trying to make Cody, me cry, bud? <laughs> Jesus. It would have been totally fine to go out on Goodfellas, Cody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone seen... What's that Hulk Hogan movie where in one of the Suburban first... Commando. Where they throw... Mr. Nanny. <laughs> Mr. Nanny, right? Santa with muscle. Too eager, shilling. Okay, so where he's like... Mr. Nanny. You see someone throw in the background of a shot, and it wasn't a part of the movie, but you see a man throw a large dog into a river. (laughs) What was that movie, A Dog's Purpose? Was that what it was called? Didn't they throw a dog into like a big tank of water and make him swim for it? Yeah. I'm glad no one saw that. Wasn't that Mind Freak? Surely whomever's after Cody, because Cody, please go away. Surely. (laughs) Surely whomever is left will not talk yeah, about yeah, animals Cody. dying. Right. By the way, Cody had a great announcer voice. I don't know if anyone knows. I know it is. Really oh, yeah. He's, he's, yeah. Uh, he's yeah, taking his Yeah, let's bring job. him back. Yeah. <laughs> is your question about Old Yeller? <laughs> if not... Yeah. Yeah, 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 <laughs> no, uh, my name's Dan. Long time hey, Dan. First time caller. Um, <laughs> no, one of my favorite stories was uh, from Sylvester Stallone. And uh, he's filming Rocky IV. And he wants it to look really realistic, um, because audiences of Sylvester Stallone demand realism. Um, That robot was really real, huh? Right. (laughs) And so uh, he eggs Dolph Lundgren on to really punch him, really give it to him. Mm. And um, so Dolph Lundgren, the next scene, punches Sylvester Stallone in the chest. Sylvester Stallone, cut, 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 cut. Um, Later that night, he's in the hospital with nuns around him for some reason. I don't know. He didn't really elaborate on that point. But um, he hit him so hard that his heart slammed against his rib cage, and all the tissue swelled up around it. And uh, the medical profession said that it's uh, they only see that in car accidents. Yeah, so, it, it looks like you were hit by a truck. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Dolph Lundgren is like a two-time karate champion in two different countries or something crazy. So I don't know why he would do that. You could, you could say he broke him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you got one more, and I'm done. I won't do three, Cody. Please be human. Please um, be human. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, this is the roast of Cody, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cody. Uh, Waterworld, which you know comes oh, with a whole shit. host of complications filming on scene. But my, I know Kevin Costner drank yeah. his own pee in it. I know. <laughs> uh, I saw. <laughs> my second favorite one then is uh, you no. Know, I guess people were getting stung by jellyfishes left and right, and uh, the little girl. And this is like a little more horrible, right? She got sung seven times, which normally you're like, that's pretty terrible. But Kevin Costner um, thought it was cute and called her jellyfish candy. And I just think that's hilarious. What the? That's not even a name. Is Kevin Costner my godfather? (laughs) (laughs) What a weird pervert. 
Yeah, and we're actually, we are out of time. UCB's going to kick us out. So sorry, Aww. everybody else, come talk to us after or something. And thank you guys so much for coming to the Live Crack Podcast. We're here every second Saturday. See you next time. Folks, that's the episode for this week. Thank you for listening. My thanks to Daniel O'Brien, in spite of his devious kindness at the end there. Same goes for Tom Ryman. I don't know if it's clear from the audio, but he taped a print out of Jack's face to a plastic spoon he found and presented it on stage because art. Also, thank you to Dave Schilling. If you like basketball, you can hear him in audio form on the Round Ball Rock podcast. And if you don't like basketball... I mean, you can still hear him there. You just won't know who Kevin Durant is or why he's history's greatest villain. We'd also like to thank Jamie Loftus. You can hear her talking movies with Caitlin Durante on their show, The Bechdel Cast. Extra thanks to our super engineer, Brett Rader, producer Anna Hosnier, editor Chris Souza, UCB's team, especially Eric Cohen and George Barber, uh, the whole lovely room of people who came out to the show. And you know what? Let's just thank the art of filmmaking itself. Yeah, you did a good job old clip of a guy riding a horse without you marlon brando would have had to put pants on and speaking of wonderful necessities let's go on to footnotes a lot of what we talked about in the episode draws on the incredible article writing happening at cracked we're going to link off to lots of examples of that also there were three movie clips that we played in that episode one from the 1978 superman one from the 1990 teenage mutant ninja turtles and one from the obviously from 2002 film The Master of Disguise. All those clips are linked for your viewing pleasure. And we are extra excited about our brand new Cracked Podcast t-shirts. That's right, t-shirts. You can get them over at podswag.com. One of them is a shirt celebrating this section, footnotes. We also have, and I swear this is true, we have a Schmitty the Clam t-shirt. The artwork is even more fun than what you're imagining. You can get that at podswag.com. And let me hook you up with a promo code to make it an even sweeter deal. Promo code CRACKED gets you 20% off those shirts. For now, it only lasts another week or two. So hurry up and get our shirts at prices we are losing money on, I assume, at podswag.com, promo code CRACKED. Uh, What else is going on? Soren Bowie will be back this coming Friday with episode two of our special three-part mini-series about grooming in fiction. You can find that in this feed. Also, if you liked the vibe of that live show you heard and you want to see one for yourself, find us on UCB Sunset's calendar every second Saturday of the month at 7 p.m. That makes the next one July 8th, and all I can tell you about it right now is that it will involve octopuses. So go to sunset.ucbtheater.com for more. That's theater with an R-E on the end, because again, art. Uh, Sunset.ucbtheater.com. We've also got a live stand-up show this Thursday, June 22nd at Meltdown Comics in LA. Go to nerdmeltla.com slash tickets for more info. And of course, tickets. That's nerdmeltla.com slash tickets. If you love this episode, hey, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media, the platform for disgruntlement. I am at Alex Schmitty on Twitter. I'm also alexschmitty.com on the wider internet. And our super engineer, Brett Rader, is a tweetsman too. He's at Brett, R-A-D-E-R. And yeah, we'll be back next week with more podcasts. How about that? Talk to you then.
We are excited to announce the launch of Stitcher Premium. It is the new subscription service that brings all of your favorite free and premium podcasts together under one roof. Here's the deal. Yes. Explain the deal to me. With Stitcher Premium, you get access to the same exciting content as how More than 250 hours of exclusive original shows. That's so awesome. Know, right? More than 120 comedy albums and free archives and bonus episodes. So, where is Richard Simmons? Where do we start? If you're a Howl subscriber, this is great news. With Stitcher Premium, you no longer have to switch apps to listen to premium content. You can listen to the exclusive Howl shows you love in Stitcher alongside your favorite free podcasts. Your Howl account info, like favorites and playlists and your listening history, can easily be transferred over to Stitcher. Musical guest. To learn more about Stitcher Premium, just go to stitcher.com slash premium. Stay flippy. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.